Welcome to Connecting Africa, a podcast series from Africa Tech Festival, where we'll be chatting to some of Africa's top thought leaders and startups about the hot topics in tech across the continent and beyond. I'm Paula, the editor of Connecting Africa, coming to you from Durban, South Africa, and helping me to make sense of it all are my two co-hosts from different parts of the continent. Hi, my name is Toby, co-founder of Venture for Africa, recording this from Accra, Ghana. And I'm Matebo, the associate editor of Connecting Africa, and I'm based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Connecting Africa podcast. This is the last podcast for season two, but don't worry, we're only taking a short break, and then we'll start recording episodes for season three, which is coming soon. So today we're talking about financial inclusion in Africa and whether services like mobile money are really making the impact that people hope they would. If we talk about the early days of M-Pesa and mobile money, we saw the huge impact that that tech had on the lives of the unbanked. But is innovation in the field slowing down and are the newest fintech apps and solutions in the market really catering for the unbanked? So that's what we're discussing today. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Toby and Matepo. Hey guys. Hello, hello. Hi. Hello. Good to see you again. So Toby, let's um, maybe start off looking at those first iterations of mobile money, you know, back in 2008, 2009, and how things have changed in the market. Do you think we've seen kind of a slowdown when it comes to the big promise of financial and digital inclusion, you know, as fintech grows? Um, so obviously when you hear financial inclusion, the first thing you think is, or the first thing I think, let me not speak for everyone, is mobile money, right? And if we look yeah. at the trends and less the eye test I actually so in football there's this thing called eye test where you can look at the stats and the stats can say something but your eyes can also tell you what's going on so if you look at the eye test of sort of like financial inclusion across the continent i guess you would say there's a lot of progress or a lot of good that has been done um and pesa comes to mind in kenya uh, mobile money in in ghana has sort of like you know it's really the main way to transact, you know, uh, in Ghana, for example. Nigeria, on the other hand, I would say, you know, it's been a heavily like mobile banking, internet banking environments, but, you know, mobile money is starting to be introduced with MTN and Airtel getting their licenses. So I'd say in terms of like the infrastructure and everything that is there, there's definitely a lot of like, you know, momentum in there. But if we then drill it down into, say, financial inclusion and what does that actually mean and how many people are getting included with these, like, you know, f tools or these yeah. services, the conversation starts to get a bit, like, shady, right? Um, so maybe that's just the initial, um, I guess, you know, starting point in the sense that, yes, there are services that should cater to people that are, quote unquote, unbanked. But I think what we're seeing is, because <clears throat> I was even looking at the GSMA report, there was a lot more around bill payments as opposed to actually like transactions between peer-to-peers and things like that. And again, you know, it might just be the same people making multiple bills as opposed to more people making more bill payments is what I would say. But I, I'll pause there and just hear maybe everyone else's thoughts as well. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. A, that's a good point for sure. I'm going to say, but what did you want to say? Yeah, yeah I, I agree with Toby that in like, when you look at it, you're thinking, yeah, it's it's made strides, it's made um, positive strides. But then if you look deeper and um, you look at um, there's peer to is there is there really enough peer to peer transactions in 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 as much in the as the reports say, or is it just um, we are we looking at it at just face value? And also, if we look at um, a lot of these mobile money um, platforms are becoming lenders um are they really 
um, including people financially, or are they just getting them to be um, even more broke by charging them really high interest rates? So that's my thoughts on it. Yeah. Yeah, I think like if we look at some of the, the stats, right, the the GSMA's um, State of the Industry Report on mobile money for 2023, uh, they show that globally, globally 1.4 billion people are still unbanked. And even in sub-Saharan Africa, only 55% of adults in the region have any kind of financial account. So that means 45% of people in Africa, you know, still are, are possibly unbanked or don't have any kind of financial services. But then we've got 166 live mobile money services and about 220 million active accounts in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, actually, I think that's the whole of Africa. And in 2022, they transacted 836 billion US dollars via mobile money. Um, so we're seeing the growth, but kind of, for me, we've got a lot of these fintechs coming out, remittance solutions, a lot of peer-to-peer payment companies, and the rise of, you know, super apps who say they, they're they all going to bring digital inclusion. They always, when they launch, they say, we're revolutionizing payments, we're revolutionizing fintech and bringing financial inclusion. But then when you look deeper, like a lot of them will launch and they'll only launch and be available to people who have a bank card. So then you're just excluding all, you know, these people who, who aren't, you know, in that market, don't have a card yet or unbanked. Um, and they don't ma- maybe have the solutions in the old days, you know, all the USSD that we could do. Um, I don't know if a lot of these new fintechs, they kind of think, oh, we've evolved so much, so we're just going to cater for like the smartphone generation. Mm. But I think there's still so many people, you know, that aren't, aren't in that category. Um, although it's qu- like on the other side of the coin, um, mobile money adoption has been really quick. So, the GSMA said that it took the industry 17 years to reach 800 million customers, that's globally, and then just five years to reach the next 800 million. Mm. So it is ticking up, but I guess for me, there's still this like section of people that continue to be excluded and, and you know, who's looking at them, who's trying to bring them into it. Yeah. And, and I think that there's just a bunch of things that are going on in here, right? So, you know, when we think about, I guess, the innovation that has helped bring a lot more people in, it's like it's solved maybe one part of the problem. I think we we're saying before we hit record here that when it comes to <clears throat> financial inclusion, well, there's the economic inclusion side of things. Like, is there actually money that these people have to be included in sort of like this kind of ecosystem? But I think the other question also is that some of the challenges of getting people to be financially included is a problem of identity. Right. It's like if we can't tell you, if we can't say who you are, if you aren't identified in any sort of way by your government or by whatever, you know, how exactly can we then start to provide you with financial services? So it seems like there's a been a mismatch in terms of there's a lot of innovation that has gone on on the okay, let's create easier ways for people to transact without going into a bank because we can't take banks to everybody. But it's also with how do we even get them? I guess, digitally identifiable to be able to then start to use the services, right? And um, I, I think yeah. everyone thought, okay, as long as you have a mobile phone, you know, that should get you on board some of these services. But then obviously in Nigeria, we've seen problems with identity when it comes to like mobile numbers and things like that. Um, and it's just so much, I, I think the issue is when it comes to financial inclusion or just getting people on board, it's more than just providing the platform for people to transact. I think there's identity, there's, a lot of education there's the fact that people are in areas that are tough to reach um there's something obviously around 
you know, USSD versus smartphones, right? You know, feature phones and all of that. Like a lot of these new, like how many startups launch today and like you say, targets people that only have feature phones. At the end of the day, you're targeting like the same middle-class audience that is going to create a new account. So like, yes, I have one account on this bank, but I will create another account. And it's really the same customer base, the same dollars everyone is chasing. And I guess that has gotten yeah. us to this point that we are. But I guess the, the questions that we're asking right now is that, you know, what happened to the other people that are not necessarily on that same train? And what are we doing to actually include them in sort of like this environment? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the price, the price of, 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 of cell phones and smartphones is, is still very high. And, um, and and most of these mobile money platforms, like Paula, you said, they're moving away from um, USSD. And now, if, if I don't have a smartphone, uh, does that mean then I can't access some of these services? Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You have some stats from um, Statista. Sorry, I'm like the stat lady today. Um, but but phone sh- on phone shipments, um, feature phones still make up a significant share of, of mobile phones um, in Africa. I think maybe other parts of the world, they don't really understand that because a lot of places, maybe besides Asia, have moved you know away from this. But out of like the 40 to 50 million mobile phones shipped to Africa every quarter, more than half are feature phones. So in the fourth quarter of last year, there were around 17.6 million smartphones, but there were 22.7 million feature phones shipped. So it's still quite a lot more. So then you're thinking about all those people and then, yeah, are the fintechs catering for those people? Um, And those people are probably, it's probably like a similar pool of people that are feature phones, people that are unbanked. And you were talking about like identity. I think we don't realize how many people don't have a physical address, so therefore can't get an actual ID from government Hmm. can't prove that they have a credit score, you know, so then how do they get access to lending, all of those kind of things. And I think we often like, we've seen the positives, we can't be all negative about it. Obviously, mobile phones have brought a lot of positives. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's like the silver bullet that everyone thought it would be. Like you were saying, Toby, it's not that easy. Oh, you have a phone now you can have a mobile money account and like play in this world. Sometimes you can't, they're getting stricter on regulations. It's the same with like SIM card registrations. Now people Mm. need IDs to be able to do that. So yeah, I don't know, maybe there's something about what governments have to do to try improve that or find other ways. Like you can understand why they want people to have IDs and to kind of be identified. But I don't know, I think, yeah, like like I said before, I think we still got a, a section of population that's being left out, right? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and obviously like, obviously um, the narrative from some other quarters is that obviously like smartphones are also getting like they're still expensive, but obviously compared to before, they're a lot more accessible. There's a lot more brands that are sort of like targeting developing markets and a lot of people are, you know, I guess being able to to, to get smartphones and get access to some of these services, which then brings back the question I said earlier around economic inclusion in the first place. So um, a founder of, I guess, Future Africa, but also associated with Flutterwave, um, obviously one of the early founders of Flutterwave. Yeah. Um, he did, he had a conference in Rwanda, or there's a conference in Rwanda, and he gave sort of like a TED talk or a speech on um, why Africa needs to move away from financial inclusion, right? And it, it was this point that I was making earlier around, you know, if you're fine, you can't financially include someone that doesn't have economic capacity, right? So you need to get people earning first before you then think about financially including them. If not, you're dealing with the same pool of sort of like users 
which is yeah. you know one startup comes and offers a way for you to send money from a to z another startup comes offers you money to send from a to b faster it's like just the same yeah yeah sure you're getting yeah, yeah, more yeah, of the same. yeah more of the same right and, and again obviously like maybe it's the thing that you just said right now where because outside of that the problems are not necessarily just for startups to solve right it's a problem of identity it's a problem of also like creating economic opportunity right um so maybe the yeah. question is around what are like uh, these directions that someone like mpesa is looking at um and maybe my biased answer is like no in the sense that like how is mpesa for example in kenya helping people earn more or giving people the opportunity to like earn right a lot of these things has to do with like education giving people new skills creating new industries that then bring people in into a place where they can start to earn and if you're saying okay as i teach you the skills the only way you can earn is if you have say set accounts x place then obviously yes but right now if you i think there's a stat going out there. i don't know how official it is but there's a lot of bank accounts um in different markets that don't have more than like say 100 or 200 dollars in them right like of all like yes we have 50 million bank accounts or however number that we have but it's like how much is actually in them in most of them right because at the end of the yeah. day if all the money is sitting in a subsection of those accounts then are you truly financially including anybody yeah exactly i mean your point that if you're living below the bread line and you have no money you have no money to put into anything to be financially included yeah, right so yeah. we've got to work on you know providing opportunities for people first i guess um i also think Taxes are a big issue, right? Mm. We've got mobile money taxes. They dropped them during COVID, um, you know, at times, and then they're pretty much all back in place now, right? Governments tax mobile money, take their bit of the pie. And then um, actual, like, smartphones imports, because we don't have a lot being made in Africa. You hear, like, rumblings in Kenya, they're going to build, you know, smartphone factories. In South Africa, I think that one company tried it. I think they went bankrupt. But the problem is that governments are still putting these heavy duties on imports of not only phones, but SIM cards. Like when you talk to some of the telcos, they get taxed on everything. And then they're told they're not making their phones cheap enough. Consumers feel they're not making their phones cheap enough, but they've got these like massive overheads. So if mm. governments, you know, could bring in subsidy programs where they would pay for some of this, they're always talking a big game. I feel governments like, oh, we're going to strive for this digital inclusion for our people right we're going to bring everyone in but if you're not helping actually get phones devices um internet connectivity in the hands of the people then they're never going to be able to connect to these things they're never going to afford it so um yeah we also we see things like device financing right so faricom had projects a lot of the big telcos have projects where people can pay like a dollar a day to pay off their phone but then in the end you're ending up paying more um it's that thing of like taking out loans you're getting a worse deal if you are at the bottom of the the echelon right yeah um so yeah i don't know (laughs) yeah no no it's crazy because i think I, would I call, would we, would we call it like short-sightedness? But it's just that like, it's like there are different pieces that kind of need to work together to grow the pie, but everyone is just trying to take their small piece out of like the small pie that is already there. Because obviously when, when you speak about taxes and incentives, like the governments are seeing it as, oh, all these companies are making so much money or more like we have all these loans we need to pay. We need to prove to the IMF that we can generate enough internal revenue and the best way to do that is taxes already available and try to include more people that are not available in, in, in that tax region, right? So for example, in Ghana, I think a couple of months ago, they introduced something called the e-levy, right? So right now on top of each mobile transaction, you pay a 1.5 fee 
you know, as a levy for every transaction over 100 CDs, which is around $10. So if you're transacting more than $10 in a day for every other transaction above the $10, you need to pay a fee, right? And yes. right now, obviously, if you go to pay something somewhere, the vendor is going to tell you to add that charge on top of it. And, but you still get charged for like, it's crazy because it's not like you, you, for example, if I'm going to buy something worth like $1.1, for example, I ended up, I ended up paying like double that if I account for all the charges that I have to pay, but the ones that the vendor still asked me to pay as well. So it's like, obviously the governments are trying to raise funds and all of those things, but it's like, are there not creative ways for us to do this than just pass on the cost to anyone who can't really fight against the cost? And anything you mentioned about like lending and loans, I think for Safaricom, for example, and Mbesa, you know, you've generated, you have all of these like data about people and how much they transact and things like that. And technically more data should mean better rates. But then obviously like Safaricom rates or Mbesa rates are like around 30, 40% mark if you're taking a loan from them, right? Which is, again, questionably very, very high. Like it should be that high when there's not enough data to assess like ascertain what's going on but it's like you've been operating for the last what eight ten years and your rates are still that super high so it's like almost a thing of well you can't get to loan from anywhere else so we're going to price it you know that way so i think there's just a lot of misaligned incentives across board in terms of like government policy you know and everything that is going on um but yeah matter what do you think i think that governments um are always reactive um, they, 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 they see mobile money um, transactions going high and then they think, oh, okay, now we're going to tax these people because um, these telcos are making a lot of money. And then they introduce high, they introduce high taxes, right? Mm. And then at the end of the day, it's the actual customers that are still suffering from um, them reacting instead of being proactive and coming up with um, regulation that can help everybody else. They're always... Um, coming up with policies that um, at the end of the day affect the layman on the streets, I think. Yeah, and also to your point earlier, Toby, like I think when we're looking at the loan space, um, so traditionally if you don't have any kind of credit score, if you haven't had loans before, then you can't get a loan, right? It's always a like a weird circle that you get stuck in. Mm. Um, and so all these people who've never sort of been financially included, then how do they get financially included? But um, on the other hand, like you hear the talkers, like I've heard Vodacom talk about it, that they have so much data on people and the way that they pay their bills, the way that they um, get, uh, you've got this thing where you can get like uh, airtime in advance, right? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. people pay it back. And like for the most part, people pay it back quite quickly. Like they don't have you know, bad, um, bad debts that much on that service. So then they have all this data on people that they know, like, you know, where they would be. So shouldn't they be able to offer them better loans, you know, yeah. using that rather than your traditional method. So it's kind of like a mixed thing. Tech offers these options where we could be doing things differently, but then is it getting funneled through to the actual people? Like you're saying, you know, is Safaricom, they've got tons of data on people from all these years of using mobile money. Mm -hmm. Are they funneling that back in a good way or are they just looking to make money and then yeah. like pretending yeah. it's financial inclusion mm -hmm. exactly I, I think it's like again this misaligned incentives right i think the government of kenya is a significant i think shareholder in 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 safaricom and um also i think it's obviously like again it's i think it's incentives because if you look at like other like it's funny because other developed markets where you think okay everything has developed up to a point so 
we can start to charge charging people for stuff you'll still find those ecosystems having way more incentives so for example there are states where you register your business and for the first like five years you don't have to pay like any significant taxes because again they understand that you need to generate economic activity and if you make it if the barrier to entry to starting a business to making you know, revenue and to offering a service and getting paid for that service. If the barrier is too high, then you're just stuck with the same number of businesses that you already have existing. Um, and, and you're trying to make money off of those same businesses as opposed to introducing more new capital, new innovation or new services into the ecosystem across different verticals um, for those to then be potential businesses that then become the new businesses you can charge in future. So I'll say it's like a short-sighted thing, but Okay, not to get stuck on this whole, you know, I think we can talk about the problems all day. It's like, as the tech ecosystem, you know, what exactly would we want to see different? And what do we think is actually, like, possible? Because, like, as we're talking, I'm thinking of that. I'm like, okay, yes, we can talk about all these issues. But if I was a startup founder in this particular kind of space, like, what exactly can I do, number one, if the government isn't necessarily, like, aligning incentives? Like, I have investors to, to cater to, so... You know, is it easier for me to just target people that already have bank accounts and try to win that market as opposed to trying to do the hard work of going to create, you know, a new market and trying to go against the grain in that sense? So I think there's also that sort of like mindset where I'm like, well, it's really a tough problem, right? And maybe sometimes it's easier to yeah. solve a different problem first. And people still want to make money, right? So it's the same as like rolling out towers into rural areas. Mm. Um, the talkers know they have to do it, but it's like not that financially, um, you know, viable for them. And I think targeting specifically like USSD users in rural areas is not going to make you a lot of money. So it's almost like going to be charity companies or, you know, people who really, you know, that's like a main passion for them. Otherwise, we kind of just see the, the same kind of fintechs launching over and over, right? Um, I mean, even on the podcast this season, we've spoken to quite a, a few remittance players. Cool, they're all doing like little bits and pieces, like different things, trying to differentiate themselves. But we still got mm. tons of just peer-to-peer, cross-border payment, those kind of solutions. Mm. Uh, do, what kind of other fintech are we seeing that's like really revolutionary or are we just stuck in this like payment space as like the main thing of fintech and it's kind of getting a bit boring? <laughs> You know, I think, you know, if you listen to like fintech investors and whatnot, they'll tell you like there's like, for example, Nala, Nala Money, for example, their line is payments are still 1% built. So they're saying obviously payments in the in the African ecosystem, as much as we have so many startups doing all of these things, it's still just 1% built. So there's a lot of opportunity there. But you can argue that, of course, you'd say that because you're a fintech company trying to attract investments into your space. But I'm sure there's some truth to that as well. Um but 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 I don't know, right? Because even with all these fintechs available and whatnot, it's still quite difficult for me to get money across to you in South Africa, right? In 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 many ways than than one. There's still a lot of either yeah, sure. either it's still either the the again, we could always use Western Union before, right? But the problem with Western Union was maybe um, ease of use, but also the price, like super expensive, right? So now fintechs have come and they've made the use case and the user experience a lot better. I don't have to leave my house and go deposit money somewhere. But now I'm like paying out of <laughs> out of pocket for for those sorts of things, right? So I think um I'm beginning to lean more in the direction of, you know, I think there's other things that we need to build first. Like I think now 
it's good that businesses can accept payments digitally, right? Um, because before, for example, if you're a small business or a hairdresser or whatnot, and you wanted to accept payments, usually you could only do cash because to get a POS from a bank, you had so many things. You had to be reg- a registered business to then acquire like that kind of device. But now I think there's a lot more access. And I think we've done that initial foundation to allow you know, businesses on the continent transact digitally. But I think now we kind of like need to move into that space where we're giving people more economic power to do things, right? And then once they start to get more economic power, then there's more that can happen in the transaction space. Um, There's more of that market that can maybe reduce the cost of these services because there are now more people using the services that you can spread the cost around. So I think that's kind of like where I'm at. So it's like, okay, so does that mean all the investment dollars that are coming into the content right now, are there better industries or more sort of like forward thinking industries that these venture dollars can go into where you might not get the returns you get in fintech, but then I feel like fintech returns kind of like are drying up or, you know, everybody's just waiting for the points where more people will be economically available and then your fintech would then cater to them. But it's like, okay, if nobody's going to solve that economic availability problem, then all of you fintechs are kind of like going to be waiting for quite a while um, or at least move into a different ecosystem. So that's kind of like my initial vibe about it, that maybe there's more to do right like in in the education space right because the more better people are educated the more they can sort of like get into the financial ecosystem and start to do things like in college i made my first like amount from learning how to build a website and charging someone for it right so you know if i didn't do that i'd have to i'd have had to wait till i got a job uh which could take while a while sometimes so i think there's just maybe more creative ways that the ecosystem and the tech ecosystem can really help people make more money i think the gig economy is going strong but like i think yeah besides the big players of ubers and you know the delivery guys and whatnot there weren't any other like smaller players really helping people get into that space as well but i'll pause here but just my initial thoughts i think that um then the cost of things uh, needs needs to, to also play a bigger role. I think that if I leave South Africa and I go somewhere else and I don't uh, maybe pay for roaming, I'm going to have to get like a SIM card in that area so that I'm able to transact with whatever mobile money system that they're using. But if uh, maybe I have access to like an eSIM, you know, that will allow me to just... As immediately when I get there, I can maybe download an app and, you know, um, be able to transact. But until such things uh, are sorted out, I think um, there's still like a, a very long way to go. Yeah, that's true. Like when you travel, you always hear about all the African countries, like mobile money is, you know, so easy to use. So many people have it. But when you actually get there, like you realize you got to pay taxi drivers in cash. You've got to pay for a lot of things, right? It's quite difficult to get into the system unless you then are like a registered person in that country. Yeah. Um, I also just wanted to talk a bit maybe about the mobile gender gap. You know, obviously we're talking about financial inclusion, but women are always, you know, less included than men in all these things. So in sub-Saharan Africa, you know, women are 30% less likely to own a smartphone than men in the region. There's still about 95 million women in sub-Saharan Africa that don't have a phone at all, even a basic phone. Um, and the mobile internet usage gap is about 36%. So that means women are 36% less likely than men to use the mobile internet. 
And when women do have phones, they still spend 32% less on mobile services than men. Obviously, we've got a lot of like historical issues. We're talking about people not being able to earn money. Women struggle more than men in like earning potential. So then, of course, you're not going to spend that much on your phone if you're only earning X amount a month, right? And you've got to put it into groceries and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, like Toby was saying, education, right? So digital literacy, education, those are issues. People have issues with like the relevance of apps for them, uh, the relevance of having access to the internet. And if you've never used it and you you don't really need it in your day-to-day life or you don't, you've don't, you never tried, then you're not going to think it's that relevant. Mm. Or if apps are only in English and that's not your first language. Or if, you know, you've got to have like the relevance of it. There's also issues with safety for women um, online. And then, of course, you know, what we've been speaking about, affordability of devices and all those kind of issues. Um, I guess I'm hoping as things move forward and we hopefully see more financial inclusion happening it's gonna you know a rising tide uh, lifts all boats and women will will come up too but I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on like specific things that could be implemented to try and sort of like fix this gap quicker as we go forward hmm. uh, that's one I haven't actually sat down to really think about um, which is I guess another issue in its own in its own right because so you're a man <laughs> yeah so, 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 so maybe there's obviously like an awareness thing as well um, but but funny enough obviously like you know if you look at the market like at, at that bottom of the pyramid level like a lot of the I don't know I'll say a lot of the economic activity that goes on in there is kind of like sometimes a bit overwhelmed by by women right so there's mothers trying to you know make ends meet and just doing the best that they can to kind of like provide and all of that so i guess it's quite interesting that in that regard there isn't enough like targets in them in that sense so maybe it's an awareness thing where um and that sort of thing and obviously when it comes to when it comes to the language barriers and things like that. I think a lot of times, particularly in the startup ecosystem, it's more about problems that people are familiar with um, and have experienced themselves is usually what gets solved first, right? And so what you're then seeing is that, obviously, because I grew up most likely maybe in the city or whatnot, the kind of problems that I'm drawn to and trying to solve are kind of like in that direction right so it's like you know how do we get more exposure to problems outside of these environments and ecosystems that we've kind of like you know spent time in is the other question right so i think there's well i i I don't think tech is the panacea for all the problems is what i'm starting to become more conscious about in the sense i think there's more that happens outside the tech ecosystem that um we need to also be focusing on right when it comes to like policy like governments and you know just all these other things that contributes to the same space that we all play in um but maybe awareness is the first thing because i can't even speak so much about this because i didn't necessarily see it as like this issue that 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 is something to tackle um yeah yeah. i I I think also education Uh, education plays a, a big part um in 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 um decreasing the the digital gen- gender gap um i recently saw like um there was they were they were doing a lot of programs where they are involving and and and, and inviting girls to be part of the stem industries but um one of the authors one of the entrepreneurs that i spoke to is that you you get them in the school um and then they learn and then they get the exact access 
with their male counterparts, but because um, of their home background, then um, most most females, most girls drop out, mm. um, and that um, plays a huge role in them not being um, part of the of the of the of, of, of the skills that are being taught because um, um, there's a lot of challenges that face that we face is that that females face more than what males face you know so that's why um like polo was reading out reading out the stats uh, that's why then you, they don't get access to maybe a cell phone because um it, they, they looked it up on they, they don't need to have a cell phone because um they have other duties that they need to be um fulfilled i think that um education and awareness uh, and there needs to be a conscious effort to continue educating and continue um, uh, creating awareness. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think a lot of stuff comes down to, you know, skills development, education, all of that stuff. And we are seeing improvements, right? Like there are government um, policies that are improving those. We've got a lot of cool like training um, startups coming out in Africa that are looking mm-hmm. to train to to teach girls how to code, teach boys how to code, um, mm-hmm. all other kind of like digital skills that, go, that are going to get used in in the future. And I think we maybe mustn't, I've probably been a bit negative. Let's not be too negative about <laughs> mobile money and like fintech <laughs> space, right? We are seeing big growth. I mean, we're seeing like still 20% growth um, in sub-Saharan Africa in terms of mobile money last year. Um, we're seeing growth moving away from just East Africa, which was dominant for a long time. West Africa is really like picking up at the moment. Um, so I think all of those things are good and and we got to, we're seeing things tick up. I just think we all kind of wish it would be happening faster, right? Yeah. Um, and that we'd be finding ways to include people more holistically. Mm-hmm. I do think it's quite yeah. interesting, like the whole mobile financial services space. Um, I was actually talking to like an insurance company the other day and they do like digital insurance. Um, and this lady had done her like PhD or something on it, like, I don't know, eight years ago or something. And she'd gone to all the big CEOs of the South African um, insurance companies and asked them like, do they think digital is going to come into insurance in the same way it did in banking? And all of them said no, which is like crazy if you think about it now. They were like, mm. oh no, you know, traditional is still going to keep going. But what we've seen now is that disruption has come in, in every industry. And Africa is maybe in like a new unique position um, with all of the people using mobile. Okay, we're still saying obviously they aren't enough, but a, a huge part of the population, you know, does have mobile phones, can get all these services via mobile. You don't have to be doing it like the old school way via brokers. Even like our last podcast with Bamboo, you know, speaking about how people can invest via apps now. You don't need to be doing all these old school things. Yeah. So yeah, I do see positives. And I think we've spoken to a lot of cool startups this season, right? About yeah. And quite a few have been fintech. Uh, we've talked about the challenges, but also about the, the interesting stuff happening. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, if we're going to bring the season to not necessarily a close, but just to tie everything together, I'm just thinking about like what what I would like to see more of in, in the space. Um, in that sense right and i think for me it's i think i just think incentives all across the board are not necessarily like super aligned and even within the ecosystem um i don't think the most important problems or problems that are worth taking a look at um i don't think they get enough attention either because there's only one kind of funding that is accessible to the ecosystem 
which is venture funding. And venture funding isn't for every kind of business. But the challenge then is if we're only solving problems that are venture backable, what does that mean? Because some problems are just not designed that way. Like there's a reason why there's not a venture funded telco, for example, or there's not a venture funded XYZ. Like there's some industries and ecosystems where there's a lot more creativity that you have to be with the financing and how you go about it, right? Um, some of it requires significant investments upfront. Um, some of it doesn't require as much investment or some of it requires a different kind of capital. So I think in my head, I'm just thinking about how we've done a lot of work with venture capital it has allowed us to take leaps and bounds but you know are we holding on to this one thing a bit too tightly and not allowing other like ecosystems flourish and grow right because i think as much as we say africa leapfrog certain things i think there's probably the right way to leapfrog and there's sort of like the inefficient way to leapfrog and there's leapfrogging but still going ahead to build that bridge so that there's now less leapfrogging that needs to happen. Like, I don't know, there's, there's just, I think that's how I'm thinking about it, where there's like, in this ecosystem that we're in, like, you know, what are the other serious things we need to be doing outside of venture funding? Because again, if, because before, I, I think there's a period where a lot of people think that to build a business, the only way you can do it, particularly on the continent, is to raise a lot of capital and just keep doing that. But I think we also get to the point where the rooster is coming home to, or how does that saying go? Anyways, venture funding typically is done in cycles, meaning that if I put venture, if I if I fund a business, I'm looking for returns in about seven to ten years. That's typically the cycle where a fund wants to return, I guess, the what the fund to its investors. Now, if we take ten years away from 2023, that puts us in 2013. Um, just a few years before things started to really pick up steam. So I feel like we're entering a point where a lot of these funds that have gone out to businesses and funded things and whatnot. I've already seen signs how, you know, if you look at the reports for venture capital in, in this year, it's slowing down like quite a lot. Um, and that's because a lot of these LPs or people that are investing in businesses, they're actually struggling to raise their next round of capital because everyone is looking at the ecosystem in the last 10 years and like, yes, we've pumped all this money in, there's all these valuations in there, but you know, where's the end point, right? where the exits, yeah. where, you know, the mergers and acquisitions, all of those sorts of things, because that's what props up a market and draws more capital in. So I feel like we're coming at to a very, very strong inflection point in the next like two to three years. It's already started. And it's just had me thinking about, okay, if we have to slow down on the venture funding and right now, even a lot of businesses are starting to focus quite a bit on unit economics, trying to not grow at any cost right now, grow a bit smartly yeah. and just build more proper businesses. So I'm like, okay, if that continues to happen, you know, how does the funding environment change and what kind of new problems does it help us solve if everyone stops going after where they think it's easiest to raise funding, which has been fintech for the longest time. But that's kind of like how I'm thinking about you know, this entire system yeah. we've done and also looking forward, but just wondering what you guys' thoughts are about that. No, it's a very interesting point around funding and like, yeah, are we at the tipping point or are we at the stagnation point, right? Mm. And I guess the next couple of years are going to show us which way we're going. Um, Matepo, any final thoughts on the topic? Like Toby said, there needs to be um, different ways of, of funding, you know, that goes into um startups and especially fintech startups maybe i think if there's if, if that changes 
they might also start thinking of different ways mm. to cater to um, the fi- the financially excluded, you know. Mm. Um, maybe sometimes because they're funded a certain way and to please their, find- their funders, they uh, just focus on um, the bottom line and making money. Mm. So maybe with, with, with different types of funding, there might be different ways that people are catered to for. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, I think we'll probably leave it there. We've covered quite a lot of different kind of topics around this um, on this episode. I hope everyone's enjoyed listening to um, our two cents on uh, what's happening in terms of financial inclusion. We obviously hope things are going to get better. But yeah, we'll we'll catch you guys um, when season three comes around pretty soon. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Take care, everyone. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can find our previous episodes on all your favorite podcast platforms. This is the last episode for season two, but don't worry, the Connecting Africa podcast season three is coming soon. So subscribe for more interviews with startup founders and interesting personalities in the tech and telecoms industry. In the meantime, if you want to find out the latest news about Africa's tech ecosystem, go to connectingafrica.com.